Welcome to Senlightened, a podcast for those playing a supportive role in the life and education of a child with special educational needs. Hosted by leading special educational needs mentor Amanda Sokel, this podcast aims to guide and support carers, educators, and parents on the journey to help our little ones thrive. Marcy Aronson has over 30 years of inner city school experience, both as an educator and as an instructional coach. Over the last three years, she's been collaborating with experts in the field of ed tech and education, creating and developing a professional learning app, providing just-in-time strategies that utilise cross-disciplinary research. She and her co-founder, Debbie Leonard, developed a groundbreaking and innovative social, emotional and academic programme with data-supported results that showed increased test scores, increased attendance and reduced suspension rates. Recorded interviews with former students now in their mid-20s to 30s credit Marcy and Debbie's model programme, Brain Zones, as being an integral part of their success throughout school, resulting in real-life change. So I'm delighted to have with me today Marcy and Debbie, and they're going to tell us all about some really interesting work they've been doing with the brain. Uh, so before we get started, maybe Marcy, you'd like to just introduce yourself and, and tell our listeners where in the world you are and, and what a bit about your history of what you've been doing to get to this point. All right, sure. Hi, Amanda. It's great to be here. Debbie and I started back several years ago, like maybe 30 years ago. We're in Akron, Ohio in the United States. And I started off teaching in a psychiatric hospital. And Deb, where did you teach? I started off in a boys reformatory. So we both have special ed degrees. So we came together when we both moved back because our husbands got jobs here. And we met in a little basement of a high school interviewing for the same job. And it was for severe behavior disorder kids. And I thought, oh, Debbie got the job. She went in first and she came out all happy. And then I went in and I got the job too. So that's how we started (laughs) our relationship of teaching, co-teaching together. That's fascinating. We quickly learned that it probably wasn't the prize job. There were seven SBH units is what they called them and three lockup rooms. And the kids from around were an inner city school and the kids from around the district who could not function in a unit within their home school were sent to this school. So it was quite an experience. Sounds very challenging. It was very challenging. And what age group were these children? We were teaching middle school kids, sixth grade to eighth grade. Sixth grade to eighth grade. So what, because the UK system is ever so slightly different, we don't generally have middle schools. So how old would they have been? They were like 11 or 12, all the way up to 14, depending if they had been held back and birthdays and whatnot. But essentially the, you know, 12, 13, 14 year olds. Right. Okay, so that's our year seven, eight, and nine. 
we had a mixture of kids in the group. We had autistic kids. We had conduct disorder kids. We had school phobic kids. We had kids with anxiety. And I would say that all of them had some form of ACEs, which we call adverse childhood trauma. Experiences. So that included all kinds of things, whether their parents were in prison, that would give them trauma. There was physical or mental abuse. Any one of those symptoms, those kids, because they were the most challenging, they were failing, they ended up in our classroom. And so how did you approach that? What did you do? So interesting enough, Debbie and I both were pretty confident coming out of college and then teaching for a couple years in those areas that we had talked about. We thought we could conquer the world. What we found out, that wasn't true. So being co-teachers, there was two of us and there were, I don't know, 20 kids in the classroom. We were leaving every day feeling very frustrated because what we were doing wasn't working. What we were taught in college, we knew our pedagogy, but boy, we had a hard time with the behavior. And the behavior was at that time the main thing that we had to deal with. So after about a couple months of us going home frustrated, the kids frustrated, and at that time, believe it or not, we were restraining kids. And the reason we were restraining was for the safety of them and the safety for others and the safety for us. So we were doing that maybe five times a day. It was very, very aggressive. I mean, and the kids, like that's what they had learned to be school behavior. And so we were at square one, obviously, trying to change school behavior. They had no, what we would, the three of us would consider social skills because it, their interactions with their peers were always very um, negative and put down and nasty kinds of digs. And so we knew that we needed to do something different. And so our second year, the two of us combined our classrooms thinking that if there were two teachers, at least learning could go on if one of us was dealing with a crisis. So that's, that's why we ended up combining our classrooms. But what we learned is the differences in our personalities and how we approached things really made a big difference with being able to manage the kids because one of us could be up in the front teaching while the other one was just roaming and starting to pick up on escalation and being able to bring it back down before it turned into a major blow up. So what we started doing, Amanda, it was sort of out of desperation comes inspiration. So I grew up in the 70s, so I was sort of a hippie-style kind of lady with meditation in my background and doing a lot of yoga. Debbie grew up where she was the cheerleader in her high school, 
So she was very energetic. And those two personalities, we started using our own personalities with the kids, not knowing anything, but knowing that it started to work. So as Debbie said, we started team teaching and we would leave our families every night from seven to 10 at night after teaching and start doing some research on what could work. And that's when we started the brain and meeting with other people who knew more than we did in psychology and doctors and really trying to get a handle on what we knew the number one issue was emotions. And so what we started doing was, and back then there wasn't a lot of it, but what we started doing was looking at how emotions impacted the brain, the behavior, and their learning. And that's how we ended up developing what we called brain zones. But as we were learning, we were teaching it to the kids. It sounds like, first of all, a fascinating almost experiment in some ways. And the fact that you were able to team teach, there aren't many schools where it would put two very well qualified teachers in the classroom together. They were, you know, normally a teacher is paired with somebody who might not be quite as well qualified, a teaching assistant or something. Was that because the school was particularly innovative or was that kind of a result of the situation and and you were able to advocate for that course of action? It was because we were able to advocate. We were willing to double, we doubled our classroom. So instead of having 12 kids, we together had 24. And the principal of our unit allowed us to do that because we were being successful. We were starting to see change. That's, that's a clever way of doing it, yes. <laughs> if we took a brain zones, it takes, it unites. After all of our research, it unites the classroom experience that we had. It takes the neuroscience that we started really diving into, positive psychology, of course, emotions, in kinesiology, so the movement of kids and getting things moving. But the one thing that we learned, and it was sort of a, by accident, we had a child that was got very upset and started throwing things all over the room, and Debbie and I had to restrain him. And together, we sat talking to him very quietly and having him just relax and having him relax his muscles. And we found that that worked. So taking that idea and making it now a classroom situation of teaching kids how to do this was mind blowing. And at that time period, as Debbie said, that time period, there was nothing like that. People would have thought you were nuts, but (laughs) it worked. So we started with that area, which we knew worked, and we developed this model that I had just talked about putting everything together, and we put it into a model that was really easy for kids to understand. So we thought if the kids could understand their own brain 
and how things work and identify, then that would be mind-blowing. For sure, absolutely. So how long did it take these young people to engage with with it and and learn it and start to apply it? Um, We had the kids for three years, and we did what we called relaxation every single day. And we taught a whole class called affective ed. So we did it every day with them. And we taught them what we called shifting strategies because like, of course they like to hear shift happens. So when they would get angry and upset, we taught them what we used was the physical movement of the body and paralleled that with anger and showing them how their breath alone could settle. And so we would have them take their heart rate. We'd have them run in place. We'd have them do breathing, take it again. They learned that it really did calm their body down. And we were very successful in helping them understand that the body and the brain are connected and the brain's a muscle. And if you can slow the body down, you can slow the brain down. If you can slow the brain down, you can think about what you want and what you want to happen. And so it was through daily practice. It was through what we called our BMW, which is the brain zone mapping worksheet. So we called it driving your BMW, which was putting them in charge so they needed to recognize their emotions, understand them, and then we gave them tools for controlling. And through problem solving, literally using problems that popped up in the class every day and talking about if you use this solution, here's the consequence and so forth, you know. So now you're in a position where you can choose. It's a choice. What? How you handle it is a choice. So we ended up having a lot of success there. And then our district got a very large federal grant. And they asked Marcy and I to teach what they called an alternative program. And so we still had middle school kids, but they were no longer special ed. They were all failing. They want us to close the achievement gap in some of the different schools. They were all failing and many had multiple suspensions. Most, not all, but most were behavior, had behavior issues, whether it was school phobic or it was aggressive, you know, or it just lack of organization, never, never knew what the homework was, you know. So, We then ran that program for about eight years. So altogether, we were co-teaching for about 20 years. Wow. Wow. What you're describing is familiar to me in some ways. So a few years ago, uh, my youngest son is autistic um, and has recently recently been diagnosed with ADHD as well. And as a, a young child, he was very volatile, very volatile. And we came across something that sounds very similar. It's a, it's a biofeedback um, mechanism 
So it, it makes the heart rate visu visuals because you're wearing a heart rate monitor and you've got a tablet and you're playing games, which are the challenges that you're describing in the classroom. The game is presenting challenges that make the heart rate go up. And then you have to use your breathing to bring your heart rate back down so that you can progress through the game. So it sounds, it, it, you know, it sounds very similar to, to what we've experienced. And, and I would say I was amazed how quickly Obviously, that's building muscle memory, which is what you're describing to me. You know, you've done it. You were doing it every day in the classroom and you're building that muscle memory so that when those situations happen, it's not like you're trying to learn a skill in the moment. You've already got the skill and you can start to apply it. And I was really amazed how quickly my son was able to transfer that skill into real life situations. So it sounds like some of what you're doing is very similar and we've got personal positive experience from that. And we had the other nice thing that went with this is Brain Zones gave us a language to talk to the kids. So instead of them having to explain to us that I'm angry and why I'm angry and what's happening, they could say to us, I'm in orange or I'm in red. And we knew that means they're not ready to learn something new. They need some space. They need, you know, and on the flip of that, the two of us could say to them, okay, we need you in green because we're going to do a collaborative activity. And this is what you need to remember about communicating to your peers and how we talk and blah, blah, blah. Or we're going to do a yellow activity. So you're going to work quietly. And it gave us a really fast, quick language that kids knew what mindset we needed them to be in to perform a task. So before we move on, why don't we talk a little bit about our brain zones? Debbie was giving you some ideas of what the colors are, but let's talk about it a little oh, bit. Good idea. We taught the kids and it made it really easy. So there are five zones that we have come up with. And we started with what the kids know. So what did they know? They knew about blue. They knew that blue was calm. They knew that blue was relaxing. They knew it was reflective. They knew that they were open when they were relaxed like that. They also knew that they could be very creative. And it was also a peaceful place. We taught them with music. We taught them with turning the lights down. So they knew that blue was a place they could go. As we know, with lots of kids, they don't know how to relax. That part of the brain hasn't quite developed because of what's going on in their lives. So this was one place that they could go to that they felt really safe, but it took a lot of practice, a lot of practice with the music, just to keep them calm because they didn't like it at first. It wasn't the music, but they started to, every time they heard the music go on, they would take a deep breath. And then we would take them through muscle relaxation. We took them through visualization. And then, of course, self-talk. I mean, can you imagine every day hearing, you're the best, you can do it. All you need to do is put your mind forward and be able to do that. So we would take them through this exercise. And we did it every day. And that's so powerful. That is so powerful, isn't it? That positive self-talk because they hear children with these kind of challenges hear so much negative talk 
that changing the narrative is so, so important. And we learned that we had to teach them a new narrative. They didn't have it. We also had them, they drew their blue zone all the time. Like they had to have a visual space to go to. And so we gave them tools to create their own blue space so that if they were upset, they could close their eyes, they could see it, they could breathe, they could tell themselves they could do it. Like we gave them that whole narrative to navigate and get to blue. And their blue zone is different than my blue zone. So, you know, they had, they drew pictures of like standing in a shower. That was their blue or what um, in a bedroom by themselves with the lights off, that was their blue. So everyone has their own blue. So what we know is they knew that that could happen. Then they also knew what we go down to, and that was the cerebral cortex of the brain. So we explained a little bit about the brain so that they would understand that this is all connected. Their body's connected. The heart rate slowed down. The breathing slowed down. They could take the pulse and see where they were. So we connected all of these things. As we said, this is all about brain zones. Then we go to, yeah, they knew about the red, which is that the brain stem in the back where that's where the anger and what they knew about that too was that they got there not all the time but there were sometimes they got there and they would be so angry that they closed everything out the reptilian part of the brain the brain shut down totally so they knew that sadly enough they knew that and they had seen family members do that so what we always say is consequences mean nothing to a person in red. Can't talk to him. You can't do anything with him. Just let him calm down. And I'm, use, I'm using my hands, which I just want, you know, with an open hand, everything gets through the brain. With a closed fist, nothing gets through to the brain. So we have the two extremes here. Then what happens what makes learning fun? Let's go back. And we call that the green zone. Deb, you want to talk about the green zone? So the green zone is the collaborative social networks. You're engaging those. You're flexible. You're open. You're receptive. The green zone is a great place to learn. It's fun. It's not overly high energy where you shift to orange, but it's very interactive. And it is where you can build new ideas because, for example, we're in green now because we can talk about this and you're making personal connections. And so anytime that you are engaged in conversation, deepening understanding, building understanding and social. So even if you're you know, out to dinner, you're in green. And so, again, we drew pictures of the green zone. We taught the kids the green zone. Marcy and I learned what's green for me may not be green for you. So a perfect example, Marcy loves to garden. It makes her happy. She likes, you know, and she loves to be around lots of people. I, on the other hand, hate to garden. That's like, <laughs> so what is a trigger for you? is not necessarily going to be a trigger for me. 
And so that's important to understand with our kids is because we think it's this way, it doesn't mean that's what is green or blue for their brain. Put me in the middle of the ocean on a raft where I'm floating, I'm in blue. If you can't swim, you're in red. You know, it's one of the reasons relationships are so important in school because you have to understand who your kids are and where they're coming from to be effective because all of us tend to think that everybody's like we are and that's just not accurate. So what puts me in green and makes me happy and social and feel safe isn't necessarily you know, because green is also very safe. The brain is not sending alert signals saying, beware, watch out. You know, you feel totally safe. And a lot of times classrooms don't create that feeling because they either academically or behaviorally need to be, feel they need to be on guard. And if you feel that, then you can't get into the green zone and you can't develop and learn, your neural connections just aren't going to be the same. Like we always said, safety structure routine have to be in place to be able to to access all the zones. Sure. And, And I think one of the things that's been a revelation for me as a parent is understanding that my green zone and my son's, you know, other members of my family's green zone are totally different. And um, and I've got a client at the moment who's recently been seen an educational psychologist. And the main finding is that this young person doesn't feel safe in school and is therefore completely unable to access learning because they're constantly on high alert. And, and that's what needs to be resolved. So, yeah, very interesting. It's, you know, and again, as we said, when you use brain zones, It creates a conversation that's very, like you've already, and you don't even know all the zones, you've adapted it. My green zone's different than my family's green zone. And, you know, this is what is blue. So you can see how quickly you can absorb this and then help kids understand it. But you cannot learn new information when the brain is on alert. You just can't. No. So let's move on to the yellow zone. So we have the yellow zone, which is our third zone, which is the focus zone. So the focus zone is when you are looking at the computer and when you are working independently, when you're trying to get things done, we get really focused. That's what we call the yellow zone. It's diligent, it's intentional, it's reliable, it's internalized, and it's task-oriented, and a lot of problem-solving goes on this yellow zone. The yellow zone is really where you're thinking. It's an internal thinking zone where, like, we're in green, but because of other neural networks, you flip back and forth, but you're also in yellow because you're, you're making connections to what you already know. So yellow is where you're taking in new information, whether you're hearing it, looking at a computer, reading about it, and you're connecting it to your own 
you know, memories and frame of reference, what you know. Yeah. So that's yellow. So let's talk about the orange zone. And this is the zone that I think your son, Amanda, um, might be in if he's having a hard time at school and he's not feeling safe. What we learned is that our kids, and I think we said this at the beginning, our kids came to us in orange. They didn't trust anybody. They certainly didn't trust the schools at all. And their brains were shut down already. What they knew was they were failures. What they knew was that school was not a safe place for them to be. And they really had no connections or friends. This was just something that they came to us with. So understanding that they were there, we had to develop all these other zones. But the first thing we had to do is get a relationship. And as Debbie said, we had to get to know these kids individually. We had to get to know their family life, their parents. We had to have a connection with everyone that they did have a connection with to understand them better. And one thing that one of our big tasks were being able to contact parents on daily basis, weekly basis, that we were all working on the same page. And that was so important. And starting there started the connection with the kids. So that orange zone is what we say is the brain has is almost shut down and the body reacts the orange zone is huge. It's competitive and it is very, very focused and it can be angry and it can be belligerent, but it has different sides. But what is one thing? The body reacts the same way. The body can be really tense and the heartbeat can go fast and the breathing is even faster. It hasn't shut down yet, but it's getting near that point. So the orange zone can be very productive or very destructive. So a lot of times if you get nervous about testing or if you are school phobic or have anxiety, that's all going to be orange. The neural pathways, because of emotions, the neural pathways in the orange zone are thicker And so information travels faster. Therefore, reactions are more difficult to control because information flies in nanoseconds in the orange zone. So it's great if you need to get things done and you have a deadline and you're working with things that you're familiar with. Boy, you are on it. And it's nice that those neural pathways are very thick. But if you're talking about emotion and anger and frustration, well, now that can work kind of against you because the pathways are very thick and what you feel and think comes right out of your mouth. So that's like the orange zone can be very productive. If you ever watch basketball or football or any of those things, The reason you practice something over and over and over is to get it into the orange zone. You need to be able to do it without thinking, you know, so 
it can be a great thing. Like Marcy and I used to do in the classroom, we would do time tests. We would have the kids hold planks and someone else, you know, contests and throw information at them and make them try to throw it back. And at the same time, we're timing them, you know, to see who can hold it. So we'd have a contest going physical stress, mental stress, all to transfer knowledge into the orange zone. So when they tested, even if they got nervous or felt anxious, it was there and they could perform it. Does that make sense? It does. It's a lot like muscle memory. It's about, you know, um, sports people often visualize over and over again. I think it was um, Steve Backley, one of the Olympic British Olympic javelin throwers, got injured before an Olympics, quite close to an Olympics, and couldn't train. And so he visualized throwing a javelin and the perfect throw and the run up and everything over and over and over again. And then with maybe a matter of a couple of weeks was fit enough to compete and then won a medal off the back of that because. And that's what happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He trained his brain. So. Right. He transferred information into orange. And so he just practiced down there without actually physically practicing. He did the mental practice. Yes. So obviously you said you, you were doing this for the best part of 20 years. I gather that some of those young people are now fully fledged adults out in the wide world. Um, right. What was the impact that you made or that you have made? So interesting enough, we contacted these kids 15, 20 years later. We found them on Facebook and we were really interested to find out you know, what they're doing and what impact did we have an impact on the kids? And we interviewed um, several of the students that we had, and now they're adults and they're out there working and they have families of their own. And the comments that we heard over and over again is, boy, you guys really helped us. You got to know us. You taught us how to relax in situations that come up now in our businesses, I say, take a moment and I'm just gonna take a deep breath. And I am one student told us, well, adult told us now he's teaching it to his own children. And Debbie and I were absolutely thrilled. I mean, you can imagine to hear that what course, yes. Brain Zones did for these kids and put them on the right track. Yeah, that's fabulous. What are you doing now with Brain Zones? Presumably you're no longer teaching together in a school. Correct. We are not. We actually have partnered with a couple other people. And our goal is to bring Brain Zones to educators to help them be able to learn strategies that they can so through all these years, one of the things that we learned, and we call it neuropacing, because it's brain-based and it's the pace of moving and for attention. And so we have developed an app that has different strategies that relate to each of the zones. And it's about designing your structure of your lesson so that you can extend attention because shift happens whether you want it to or not. So if the teacher controls the shift, 
then the kids might not shift on their own. So if you start like in a blue zone and then do something green and then do something orange or yellow, and then maybe back up to blue for a second. So it's a very doable way to integrate social emotional learning and extend attention because through shifting, every time you shift, the brain has to adjust and pay attention. So through this shifting, you're extending how much learning they're able to get and you're creating a dynamic that is more fun because this, you know, nobody watches a movie that doesn't have anything happening. We watch a movie. And if you think of a movie you liked and one of the ones we like to use is the Titanic, you're like this, you're up, you're in blue, you hear that great music, you're down in green because you're thinking and kind of interacting and with the characters, you're, you know, so that is a key. If you're not paying attention, you can't learn. Agreed. So our app is filled with strategies and now we're also using it for parents, um, for behavior. That'll be coming out in a couple months, but you can go to the app store on Apple and it's free. And there's lots of strategies that integrate social emotional learning with all kinds of different things. So that's what we're working on right now. Yeah. And for parents, like we have it broken down into different sections, which is academics, behavior, culture, social, emotional learning. So all of those strategies, even though we did rewrite them and it will be coming out for parents specifically, how to make it work at home. If you look at them, they can, all of the ones in the behavior and the SEL can be done at home to develop these different zones. Yeah, sounds very useful. Excellent. If you could leave our listeners with with one kind of top tip each today. So, you know, if anyone listening to this has got a, a young person in their school or a parent of a child that's really struggling and maybe is spending too much time in the orange zone at the moment, what would be your one top tip, Marcy? I would say relationships. The most important thing is to have a relationship with open communication. Thank you. And Debbie? I would say the breath. It would be using the breath to shift and be where you need to be so that you're able to respond and not react. Sounds perfect. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. That ends this episode of Send Lightened with Amanda Sokel. For more information and to contact Amanda, please go to navigatingneurodiversity.life.